Hi, I'm Jeff Sikinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. Well, welcome everybody. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of The American Idea. Today we're going to be talking about one of the best-known addresses, uh, really, in American history. One of the defining statements of the American idea, something, a document we've all heard of, probably know some language from, but maybe we don't fully understand the meaning and significance of this document for us and for what it means to be an American. Of course, I'm talking about the Gettysburg Address. And to help me understand it today, to help us think through the Gettysburg Address, we've got Dr. Jason Stevens. Jason is professor in the Department of History and Political Science at Ashland University, also, of course, director of teacher programs for Ashbrook. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, the Gettysburg Address. Yes. It's, a, it's something with which all Americans are, one hopes, familiar with in some way. Language four score and seven years ago, for example, we've heard that. People know that. But they may not know much about the historical context of this speech. Let's start by thinking about that. This great speech from Abraham Lincoln, when is it given and what's the historical context surrounding it? Yeah, you're, you're right, Jeff. Um, it wasn't too long ago that the average American student would memorize yeah. the whole speech as part of right their their study of American history. That's because government. it's not that long, right? That's right. And it's it's also there's there's some poetry to it. It's it's mm-hmm. actually really, really easy to memorize, right? There's some some cadence to it ah. that makes it easy to to memorize. We don't do that so much anymore, right? Have have American students memorize this address. Yeah, it's a shame because it it's is. it's not that long and as you say very memorable. But but what about the context of the speech makes it, in your mind, particularly mm. interesting. Yeah, interesting and, and very important, as you, as you said in your, your introductory remarks. Um, the speech is delivered uh, by Abraham Lincoln, of course, on November 19th, 1863, right in the, the midst of, of civil war. Uh, several months after the, the bloody battle of, of Gettysburg, which took place on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of, of 1863, by November, when this speech is, is delivered, uh, the war still rages on, uh, but what has taken place in the intermittent time between the battle and and Lincoln speaking at Gettysburg is Lincoln is there to dedicate a cemetery, a national cemetery. Okay. Um, and so those who have died at the battle uh, have been buried in this cemetery, and Lincoln is there to deliver uh, a few appropriate remarks. He actually wasn't supposed to be the, the main speaker. Really? He wasn't the headline speaker. The President of the United States was not the headline. He was an afterthought. <laughs> he was an afterthought. They invited him almost as an afterthought. The main speaker was this guy named Edward Everett, who was a Harvard professor, professor of rhetoric, um, known for giving these, these great oratorical speeches. Uh, Edward Everett, when he spoke at the, the cemetery dedication, he spoke for, for well over over two hours. Wow. Okay. Like professors. They all think exactly. they're paid by the word. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, professors and lawyers. Right. <laughs> but, but Lincoln the lawyer is much more Lincoln the poet here. Huh. Because when, when he goes up to deliver his speech, um, he, of course, speaks for less than two minutes. 272 words. 
I mean, heck, the photographers who were who were present, when Everett stopped speaking and the president rose to deliver his remarks, the photographers believed, right, the, the, the president of the United States, that, that lawyer, Lincoln, he can be counted on to deliver a long address. We've got time to adjust our cameras yeah. and, get, and get repositioned. Lincoln was already sitting down again wow. before the photographers were, were ready to, to take his picture again. So Edward Everett takes about two hours. Mm -hmm. Lincoln, 272 words, as you said. That probably takes two minutes. Yes, yeah, less than two minutes. And, and in fact, Lincoln received a letter from Everett not too long after the, the cemetery dedication. And Everett said to Lincoln, let me see if I can get this right, um, I would flatter myself to think that I got as close to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. Wow, wow. So even Edward Everett recognized the importance of this speech. Um, Lincoln takes the train out from Washington to Pennsylvania to Gettysburg. There's, I've heard, probably people listening to this episode have heard this, this idea floating around that Lincoln wrote this speech. It was so short because he wrote it on the back of an envelope oh, right, on the way right. there. What, what do you, is that true? That is not true. No, no, that's, that's an urban legend. That's, that's a, that's a, that's an old fashioned fable. Um, Lincoln did not write this on the back of an envelope on the, the train ride from, from, uh, DC to, to Gettysburg. Um, this was a speech Lincoln at a lot of his speeches as he did, uh, took great care mm. and time to, to think about and to, to write about. This was not something he threw together at the last minute. This was not something that he, he, he wrote on the fly. Uh, he prepared this speech several weeks in advance of the, the cemetery dedication. Um, and when he takes the train into, into Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, there was some talk among his staff that, well, you know, uh, we can get you into to Gettysburg and get you out on the same day, right? So, you know, so as not to, you know, take up too much of your time in Gettysburg. And Lincoln said, no, let's stay the night. Hmm. And then we'll, you know, we'll come in the day before, stay the night, and then deliver the address the next, the next morning. Because Lincoln wanted to make sure that he didn't leave anything to chance, that he wouldn't miss the ceremony, right? So he gets in the night uh, before, yeah. stays the night, delivers the speech the next day. So this is obviously, it's not short because it's not very well thought out. It's short precisely because it's well thought that's out. That's right. He tries yes. to pack a lot of meaning into a very short text. Absolutely. And that's what Edward Everett, you know, said to Lincoln in that letter. All right. So let's look at the text. Sure. Can I start with these very familiar words? Please. This, here's what Lincoln says on November 19th, 1863. Four score and seven years ago. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That's the first sentence and even the first paragraph. That's right. Help us understand the meaning of that. <sighs> Great even question. just start with those words, yeah. four score and seven years ago. Yeah. If we start there, four score and seven years ago, um, those words, uh, I think many Americans Right. They know that they may yeah. not have the whole speech memorized, but they know when they hear that, they know, OK, Lincoln Gettysburg address four score and seven years ago. Um, but, you know, I, I when when I was in school, I knew that, but I didn't know, for instance, what that meant. Yeah. Or why Lincoln said four score and seven years ago. And how many years is that? It turns out, right, a score of years is, is 20. Right. And so we got to do a little math here. This is math even I can do. So four times <laughs> 20, 80 plus seven. 
87 years ago. Okay, so why doesn't Lincoln just say 87 years ago? Yeah, that's why the question. Why four score? Yeah, seven? yeah. so you, you, you ask that question and you may hear... Uh, well, it just sounds better. It sounds smarter, well, right? Well, it does sound smarter. Right? It and sounds, it sounds more kind poetic. Of old fashioned which it does, to me. Yeah. Which it does. Uh, it is old fashioned. In fact, it's very old fashioned. Uh, this is this is biblical language mm. that we see here. Uh, scores of years. So in the Old Testament, uh, right, scores of years are used to right, to measure the lifespan of the, the, the patriarchs. Um, and then specifically in, in in Psalm 90, verse 10. Um, which was a verse that Lincoln knew well. He cites it in other letters. Uh, the psalmist says something like the following. I'll paraphrase. Uh, the days of our years are threescore year and ten, and if by means of strength they be fourscore years, they are soon cut off and we fly away. Hmm. So this is biblical language that Lincoln employs. Um, and when you, you know that, you come to see, right, based on the psalmist's view here, that the time that has passed since the founding, 87 years ago, we do a little bit more math here, 1863 when Lincoln delivers the speech, right? Minus 87 years, turns out it's 1776. Uh-huh. 87 years has passed from then to now, from 1776 to 1863. And what we learn from the psalmist there is that's longer than the allotted lifetime of man. Uh -huh. More time has passed from the birth of the nation than is accorded to human beings by God. Oh, so you see already the meaning. Uh, a, a human being would be dead by now. That's right. Maybe even if they lived to be 80 years, as you mm -hmm. say the psalm says, mm -hmm. they're soon cut off. Mm -hmm. We've lived longer than that. And I can mm -hmm. see in the midst of a civil war, the question is, will we continue That's to right. live? Yeah. Or is, is America going to last just about as long as a human being does? The founding generation is dead and gone. Hmm. This next generation, their sons and grandsons who have replaced them, right? That next generation um, who now are fighting, as he says later on, this, this, this great civil war. Um, the question is, right, will this nation follow the dead to the grave, follow the, the dead on the battlefield and, and follow our ancestors, follow the founding generation right. to, to the grave, or will it or will it live on? Right. So it's not just poetic, it's packed with meaning here. That's right. The rest of it, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, hmm. conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Hmm. What's Lincoln mean there? Yeah. Good question. So four score and seven years ago, we see that biblical language. Here in the second part of the same sentence, now we see the Declaration of Independence language, hmm. right? Um, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Um, but we notice there's, there's a slight change from the Declaration. Do we not? Right. So the declaration. In, well, it in, looks like it's a straight up quote that all men are created equal. Right. Okay, good. That's directly taken from the Declaration of Independence. So even if you didn't know what a score of years was or you, you weren't familiar with Psalm 90 verse 10, you would know Lincoln's talking about 1776 here just by looking at that latter part of the sentence where he talks about all men being created equal, mm -hmm. which is taken almost directly from the Declaration of Independence. The only difference is, right, Lincoln calls that principle of human equality in the Gettysburg Address, he calls it a proposition. 
I don't think that's how what it's called in the Declaration of Independence. In Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence, it's referred to as a self-evident truth. We hold these truths to be we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. Wait a minute. Equal. So why doesn't Lincoln say and dedicated to the self-evident truth that all men are created equal? Right. Why does he say proposition yeah. and not self-evident truth? He clearly knew the Declaration of Independence language. Yeah, why does he make that change? Yeah. Clearly it's not, you know, laziness or, well, yeah. you know, what was that word Tommy J used in the Declaration? <laughs> self-evident <laughs> right. proposition, whatever. Eh, okay, proposition. Um, every word is precisely chosen, right? And so Lincoln makes that change for a reason. I think he's trying to tell us something. I think he's trying to teach us something, right? Because we read that and we say, hold on, wait a second. We, we, we have to stop ourselves reading the speech and say, that's not what the Declaration says. Right. Lincoln's changed something, so maybe he's up to something. Maybe he's trying to teach me something. And I think, I think what he's trying to teach us is not that, right, the principle of human equality is not a self-evident truth. Lincoln very clearly believed that it was a self-evident truth, true for all men at all times and all places, as he said in many, many other right. speeches. That all, Lincoln believed profoundly that it was true, that all human beings are equal in their natural freedom. Exactly. So the status of the truth has not changed. It's a truth, right? Its right. status never changes. So it's true in 1776, it's true in 1863. So why does he say proposition? Then the question is, well, what has changed from 1776 to 1863? The truth hasn't changed. What has maybe changed is how we Americans think about that hmm. principle and whether or not we still hold it to be a self-evident truth. Ah. Our founders in 1776 say, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The question in 1863 is... One question is, you know, do we still hold these truths to be self-evident? Ah. Because there are many in the nation who say, no, it's not a self-evident truth that all men are created equal. In fact, that's a self-evident lie, not a self-evident truth. That is what some people like John C. Calhoun said before the Civil War. That's right. And that's what others like Alexander Stevens, vice president of the Confederacy, said at the start of the Civil War. Hmm. A proposition. That word proposition is hmm. striking. On the one hand, it sounds like geometry, and we know Lincoln was mm. a, studied Euclid's uh, geometry, mm. right? There are propositions in geometry. Mm. The other time, the other way I can think of that word being used is, well, to propose something to someone, right? So, like proposing to your fiance, to your wife, to your girlfriend to become mm. your fiance in marriage, okay? Right. Why the word proposition? Yeah, the word the word propose is that root word of of proposition, right? And as I as I tell my students, right, you know. When, you know, you know, the young man proposes to his girlfriend getting down on one knee, he doesn't say, you know, it's a self-evident truth, baby. <laughs> he says, will you marry me? And she can accept or reject that proposal. Ah. Right? A proposal, a proposition can be accepted or rejected. It may be true. It may be false. Whereas a self-evident truth is, is always true. And a self-evident truth, I remember from our conversation in another episode on the Declaration of Independence, is a truth that's obvious to you once you've been enlightened to it. Right. But So a proposition might mean that some people no longer accept this that's as right. true. And so Lincoln makes that change as, a, as an acknowledgement hmm. of now the divided right. American mind. So we're not just divided militarily. We're not just divided politically between Union and Confederate. Mm -hmm. We're divided morally and philosophically about what we believe 
is true. And what we believe is the American idea. And what we believe is the American idea. All right, that's the first paragraph. The second paragraph starts this way. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation, the nation founded in 1776 on the principle of liberty and equality, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. This second paragraph, the first paragraph was about fourscore and seven years ago. The past. The past, 1776, the past, as you say. This middle paragraph, hmm. what's it about? He says so in the very first word, now. Now. Now we are engaged in a great civil war. So the first paragraph is about the past. The second paragraph now is, it's about the present. Wow, I feel like there's a lot going on here. Right, and not, you know, spoiler alert, but if you look ahead to the third paragraph, it's going to be about the future. Okay, past, present, and future. That's it. In the present, what's Lincoln's analysis of the civil war? Yeah, good. He says, now we are engaged in a great civil war. Testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We're met on a great battlefield of that war. We've come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. I think just in, in these few sentences, we find out from Mr. Lincoln what he, Lincoln, thinks the Civil War is all about. Wow. What does, what does he think it's all about? Well, we were taught, right, in our using our textbooks that Lincoln was trying to preserve the Union. Yeah. One thing I notice is Lincoln never uses the word Union in this entire speech. Wow, I didn't notice that. He never says Union. He uses the word Nation. He and also doesn't use the words North and South. That's right. I'm just looking at this text now. That's right. It's that Nation. Which Nation? That's the question, right? Again, I think... As we said before in the first paragraph, when you notice the difference or the change from self-evident truth to proposition, that makes us stop and say, what are you trying to tell me, Lincoln? Yeah. What are you trying to teach me? Yeah. I think the same thing's going on here, especially when Lincoln uses the, the double that's yeah. in this second paragraph. That's a strange It's a phrasing. strange, awkward, ugly yeah. way of speaking. And that's and you, t you said this is Lincoln the poet here. Right. It doesn't sound very poetic that's to me. exactly right. And in fact, when you read this out loud, a lot of times students will stumble. Yeah. Right? They'll have to stop and they'll catch themselves or they'll, they'll say that the nation might live or that this nation might right. live. But right. what Lincoln says is something much more awkward. I, I like the way the student says it the first way or that this nation or the nation might live. Lincoln says something much more strange that that nation might live. And I think by doing that, again, Lincoln is trying to get us to stop get us to stumble, but more importantly, get us to think. Hmm. And, I th and, and what he is, is, is trying to teach us here is that, well, if he had said that the or this nation, that would mean something completely different. All right, what would the difference be? Then let me just rephrase it then. What if he says, we have come to dedicate a portion of that field, which is the cemetery there at Gettysburg, as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that this nation might live. What if I put it that way? To me, it does, like you said, it does sound better. Sounds more grammatical in mm -hmm. English. Mm -hmm. What's the difference in meaning between that this nation might live and what Lincoln said, that that nation might live? Right. 
So if he says that this nation might live, what is the state of this nation in November of 1863? He tells us we're engaged in a great civil war. Now we're engaged in a great civil war. The condition of this nation is one that is, is divided. The status of this nation is one that is at war with itself, tearing itself apart in the midst of a great civil war. That's what's going on in this nation. But he says, no, the civil war is about trying to preserve not this nation, but that nation. Not this nation in the present. In 1863. But that nation four score and seven years ago. In that nation, 1776. In 1776. That nation that was right conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That nation in which we talked about this uh, in talking about the Declaration of Independence. Mm. That nation in which the American mind had a shared American idea. That's right. As opposed to this nation that now doesn't know what it means to be an American or doesn't or is or is divided over what the meaning of the American idea even is because in the in the in the south you have those who say no the American idea is that all men are not created equal and you've got and some, some human beings are meant to be slaves to other human beings and don't we have some people even in the north who say Ah, I don't know if we need to take a stance on this Absolutely. in order to th be an American. Yep. We don't have to say slavery is wrong yep. in order to be an American. That's right. And Lincoln wants to say, no, they gave their lives, the folks buried here, the men buried here at Gettysburg, gave their lives that the nation of 1776 might live. That nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That's the meaning of the Civil War. That Will is that what Lincoln live? thinks. That's what Lincoln thinks the meaning of the Civil War is. Yeah, to preserve that nation. So it's not just preserving the Union politically as a geographic or political entity. It's about preserving the Union as a moral entity, as an as a united American idea it's of about, liberty and equality. Yes, trying to preserve the American idea as our fathers understood it as our fathers established it hmm. four score and seven years ago. And that leads to, to another point about the, the circumstances of, of the speech and who's buried at this cemetery. Because... Right. I think you said before it's folks who, men who fell in battle there. That's not exactly right. Because Confederates fell in battle. Yeah. Right? But no Confederates are buried at that cemetery. Really? In fact, they had accidentally buried a few Confederates in the National Cemetery there at Gettysburg. And when they discovered what happened, they were actually, the, the Confederates were exhumed and moved elsewhere and buried elsewhere. Only Union soldiers are buried at that cemetery. Why is that? Lincoln just told us. Because they died that that nation might live. The Confederate soldiers did not die that that nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal might live. Hmm. So Lincoln is saying the cause of the Union is the cause of the American founding. And so we're going to honor these Union soldiers here. That's right. Huh. And that's, the that's what they're dedicating mm -hmm. at Gettysburg. Yeah. Third paragraph. We've, we understood the past. It's about the nation of 1776. We understand the present, which is the Civil War is a struggle over whether that nation of 1776 will really live. Mm -hmm. The future. Hmm. Let me read. 
But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. I'll stop there. This third paragraph, these opening sentences, what do they mean? Yeah, great question. Um, I've always liked this line, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. Which is kind of laughable, right? Because right. the Gettysburg Address is one of the most famous addresses in American history and, and even known around the world. Exactly. But, you know, the more I think about this, the more I think that, you know, Lincoln... Is this a joke by Lincoln? Lincoln surely knew as as Pericles knew, as Churchill knew, that words are sometimes necessary to give meaning and significance to actions. Yeah. I think Lincoln knew that his words would be remembered here, right? And that's why he doesn't take this responsibility lightly. That's why he doesn't write this speech on the back of an envelope at the last minute. Right. He has a sincere responsibility here to the past, but also the future of the nation. Why can't the words, the words can give meaning, but Lincoln says here, we cannot consecrate, we mm. cannot hallow this ground. Mm. What has made the ground sacred, hallow, is what they did here. These brave men who struggled that that nation, the nation of 1776, might live. Gettysburg is holy, holy ground, not because of anything that was said there, but what was done there. And what was done there was that people were willing to take up arms to defend a union dedicated to the moral principles of liberty and equality. Exactly, yeah. And that we will always remember in them. Mm. Let me go on. It says, It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished task which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Those are familiar words to us. What do they mean? Yeah. And, I mean, these words are, you know, pregnant with meaning. Um... First paragraph, past. Second paragraph, present. Third paragraph, future. We yeah. see that here. Now that he is talking about not that nation, but this nation, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Ah, that's right. I didn't notice that. He switched from that to this. This nation looking to the future. Yes. What will happen? Under God shall have a new birth of freedom. So let me let me say a, a little bit about that. The, the those two words under God, those words were not in Lincoln's draft that he carried with him to the stage at Gettysburg. We think he just inserted them, hmm. right in the moment. It wasn't written down in the speech he had in front of him, but he just he he said it. Moved in in this way that this nation under God, shall have a new birth of freedom. 
So with God's aid, with God's help, this nation, as a result of the Civil War, sometime down the road, in the future, shall have a new birth of freedom. Notice, right, not a birth of new freedoms. This is not, you know, FDR here, you know, okay. with, with the four freedoms and new freedoms, and we're going to create new freedoms. No, this is not a birth of new freedoms, but a new birth of freedom, a new birth of the original freedom from 1776. The, the freedom that our fathers brought forth in 1776. Our fathers who conceived, right, this new nation. Our fathers are the conceivers. There's almost like this little joke in the opening yeah. line of the Gettysburg Address. Our there, fathers are conceivers. There's a lot conceivers. of references to pregnancy in this, yes, right? Yes, right, Conception right. in the first paragraph. Blood struggle. and toil and struggle, yes. In the, in the second, second paragraph, paragraph. And then in the third paragraph, a new, a new birth. birth. Exactly. This new birth of freedom. What does that mean for Lincoln? Yeah. That is the final coming forth of that nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Through the struggle of civil war, the birth of that original nation as established by the founders can finally now come forth. Because prior to this, right, that new nation, based on the idea of human equality and natural liberty, was denied for many Americans, mm -hmm. right, for black Americans, for the slave. Through the Civil War, we can come closer to approximating the complete idea of natural freedom and equality as the founders imagined those things at the root of not just that nation, but at the root of this nation. So this is after the Emancipation Proclamation, right? Which That's comes right. out January 1st, 1863. That's right. Here we're at the end of 1863. Lincoln's clearly looking forward to the idea of an America without slavery. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's going to be this new birth of freedom. Mm -hmm. in fully putting into practice mm. the principles that the founders articulated in 1776. Mm. Look, that raises in my mind an important question that people have asked about Abraham Lincoln and about the Gettysburg Address, which is, Abraham Lincoln then, is he himself now being a founder of this nation, this new nation, or is he a re-founder or something else with respect to 1776? Does he, is he replacing Thomas Jefferson and George Washington here, or is he doing something else? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I don't think he's he's certainly not replacing or redeeming the founders. Hmm. I think that Lincoln is the founder's son, that he is trying to not improve upon the founding or go beyond it, uh, but restore, restore it. That means Lincoln was this uh, the greatest student of the American founding that we've ever seen, the greatest defender of the founding that we've ever seen. He is constantly referencing the founders mm -hmm. and the Declaration and, and the Constitution in his speeches. And every time, it's with adoration, right, that Lincoln is trying to move us closer to the ideas as the founders themselves understood them. Lincoln is the greatest defender of the American idea since Thomas Jefferson. Hmm. He just wants now to take that American idea and bring it fully to completion mm -hmm. or to bring it to fulfillment. To bring it to birth, right? <clears throat> to bring it forth. Bring it forth yeah. under these circumstances. It's the birth of the original idea that we got that was conceived by our fathers. 
by the founders. Right? There's no difference there between the things. And that's the great... They're the same thing. Yeah. Wow. So that means that in this last paragraph, that's the great, great task remaining before us. Exactly. Yes. It's not just to win the war militarily. It's not just to have a kind of political reconstruction. Mm. But it's to fulfill the promise of the founding, to mm. finally put these principles into these self-evident truths mm. into practice mm. for all Americans. Yeah. yeah, for all people, right? That government of the people, by the people, for <clears> the people <throat> shall not perish from the earth. Finally, all people will have their natural freedom mm -hmm. and capacity for self-government recognized, mm -hmm. and there will be truly government, as, you, as he says here at mm -hmm. the end, of the people, by the people, for mm -hmm. the people, mm -hmm. all the people. Right. Right. Wow. Um, shall not perish from the earth. Was it a question in Lincoln's mind whether our government would perish from the earth? Oh, I, I think Lincoln thought, yeah, that, that certainly could be possible. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't win the war, if the, the nation does split, if this nation no longer believes in the principles of, of that nation, then you have lost the possibility for self-government forever. In another place, uh, Lincoln described the work of the Civil War in, in these terms. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of Earth. Wow. Not just the last best hope of Americans, but the last best hope of Earth. Of all human beings. Of proving to the world that human beings not only should, but they're actually capable of governing themselves. Wow. And so he, he thought and he hoped perhaps that in the future this speech would have importance for America, but also for lots of people around the world. For the world, yeah. Wow, wow. Um, it's very moving, that idea. Mm. That mm. idea of, of this resonating with people from other countries. And it does. It does, right? We've seen, we've seen those who right, are not uh, Americans, right, in, in other countries throughout the world, memorizing the Gettysburg Address or reading the Gettysburg Address, right, in order to defend their own rights, their own liberties, their own freedoms from tyranny and oppression. Yeah. That reminds me, I, I know Peter Schramm was your teacher. Yes, yeah, and, that's right. And he was my mentor. I never had him in class, but he was my mentor and therefore my teacher. Um, he had a great story about the significance of the Gettysburg Address. Oh, yes. Yes, do we have time to tell it? Please, let's okay. hear it. I love okay. it. Okay, so uh, Peter Schramm, who was my, my beau ideal of a teacher, you have to know a little bit about his background to, to appreciate the story. Uh, Peter was, was born in, in Hungary, um, escaped to the United States um, during, the, uh, during the, the Communist Revolution, and uh, Peter always explained that he was born American, but in the wrong place. Um, Peter, when he escaped with his family, he was just a young boy. He asked his, his father where they, were, where they were going. And his father said, we're going to America, son. And Peter said, why America? And his father's response was, because, son, we were born Americans, but in the wrong place. So Peter, who was more American than any person I ever knew, um, he wasn't Hungarian. He didn't think of himself as Hungarian. He was born in Hungary, but he was really born American. And years later, after Peter and his family came to, to the United States, um, 
Peter took a friend of his, a European, I think a Hungarian, to, um, to Washington, D.C. Uh, specifically, uh, the two of them went to the, to the Lincoln Memorial. And the European friend, he was, he was astounded by what he saw, blown away by what he saw at the Lincoln Memorial. It wasn't, right, the, the beautiful, ornate stairs leading up to the Lincoln Memorial. And by the way, there are 87 of them. 87 stairs, four score and seven wow. stairs leading up to, to the Lincoln Memorial. It wasn't the beautiful, ornate marble, uh, the Greek-inspired columns that blew this European away that surprised him the most. It wasn't even Lincoln there, larger than life, sitting in the chair, sitting on his laurels, surrounded by the uh, the fossies, the bound, the bound sticks, the symbol of, of power in the ancient world. What surprised the European the most about the Lincoln Memorial, it's none of those things. It was what was surrounding Lincoln. He's surrounded by his own words. The second inaugural on one wall and the Gettysburg Address on the other. And the European turned to Peter and said, you know, you Americans, you're so strange, right? Why do you surround your, your heroes, your great statesmen with their own words? We don't do that in Europe, anywhere in Europe. There's nothing like the Lincoln Memorial Anywhere in Europe, the Europeans said, because in, in Europe, right, we show our great statesmen, right, in, in action. Some king charging forth on the back of a horse, you know, sword drawn. Uh, Winston Churchill with the bowler hat and the, the cigar harumphing down some, some London street. Um, but, you know, you Americans, you have your great hero here, Mr. Lincoln, sitting in a chair surrounded by his own words. Why do you see that? in America and nowhere else. And I learned from Peter that the answer to that question is that America is the only nation in the history of the world founded upon words. America is the only nation in the history of the world founded upon words. These words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And these words. We the people of the United States of America in order to form a more perfect union, so on and so forth. And even these words, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Beautiful words, moving words, that so wonderfully capture the American idea. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The American Idea, a production of the Ashbrook Center. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. Subscribe for more at ashbrook.org slash AmericanIdeaPod and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at AMIdeaPodcast. From the Schramm Library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sicken.